Hello, and welcome to the Commune Podcast. This is Sky Fox, sitting in for Hourglass this week, who is currently investigating a story in Mario Land. This week we will be discussing discussion and what it means for one special family in Southern California. So this week I'm joined by Adrian, yourself, Wario fan, and Golem, and we're going to be talking about Fallout and the role of character builds and dialogue have in the game. How's everyone doing? Great in Southern California this time of year, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing good. good I miss Iris Flash. I've been working for two <laughs> weeks straight with no break. That sounds awful. I'm doing great. Adrian up, sounds like he's, he's having a ball. You can't tell me. Yes, if you love your work. <laughs> yeah. So, Wario fan, you like video games, right? I'm afraid so. Have you been playing anything lately? Pretty much the only thing I've been playing for the last several weeks is Rhythm Heaven Megamix, which stealth launched during E3. That's exciting. What can you tell me about that? I can tell you that it's phenomenal. It's got a bunch of the old Rhythm Heaven games from the Game Boy Advance, DS, and the Wii, and it throws in a couple new ones, too. And uh, it's pretty easy for newcomers because they took some of the older games and made them easier. And they also threw in a, a little thing on the bottom screen to show you your timing, too. So that's extremely handy. The tap dancers did not make it to this one. So they are unfortunately sitting on the sidelines. But uh, we get the chorus kids. We get Monkey Watch, you know, all the favorites. We get Rhythm Tweezers. Doo-wop. You know. yeah, no, tell. no doo-wop. I can't tell if you're joking or if those are really... Uh, the Chicken angel. Walk, I think that's in there, too. <laughs> You'd be surprised how close you are. So a big part of the appeal of Rhythm Heaven is all the different wacky stuff you get to witness. Yeah, you never know what they're going to throw at you, but they make sure you're able to roll with it once it happens. And then after a few levels, what they like to do is give you a, a remix of sorts, which is, you know, like a, a kind of a pop quiz, like, oh, okay, how well do you remember these games you just did? So you get a little song that is tailor-made for uh, the set of games you just played. Okay, yourself. Tell me about what yourself has been playing. Uh, <laughs> probably the thing I've been committing the most time to recently is Armored Core 5 uh, for 360. Ah, oh, so the like, Verdict. Uh, no, Verdict Day is Armored Core 5.5. That's like the sort oh. of expansion one. But Armored Core is from, from software, the same developers as Dark Souls, and while it's not nearly as technically difficult as Dark Souls. It's equally dense and sort of impenetrable in terms of the game not really wanting to help you learn how to play. But it's something that I got into a lot because there's a lot of strategy to it, a lot of customization. There's all kinds of preparation that you end up doing. It's one of those games where uh, and I know this is the biggest turnoff in the world to a lot of people, but it's one of those games where you spend like 75% of your time in menus and preparation screens and 25% of the time in the actual action. I remember playing a game in the 32-bit era. I played one of those, and that describes my experience with it very well. I remember there being tons of customization on what type of mech you had. How would someone get into a game like that? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of difficult. I just stuck with it because uh, mechs are cool, and that's a nice payoff in and of yeah. itself. And it does have some fairly unique controls in terms of, like, flying mechs is different than what you get in uh, your normal third-person shooter. So that's what originally attracted me to it. And just the level of complexity to that kind of control and the way that just slightly increasing your mech's acceleration can substantially change how you navigate through levels. That's the kind of subtle tweaking that I like, and so I think that you can figure out pretty quickly if you're going to get into making that kind of tweak, like if you're a Gran Turismo-type person, or if that's just going to be a huge turnoff to you and you just want to play Mario Kart. I see. So it's, it's a really core thing, and if you're into knobs and levers type things. Yeah, I think that there's types of games that just have that 
it's like instead of having really discrete skill sets, you have lots of just numbers to crunch to sort of build up what works and what doesn't. Okay, interesting. Adrian, what can you tell me about video games you've been experiencing lately? Well, you're going to get a short answer because I haven't actually been playing anything besides Fallout for the past two weeks. So tell me about Fallout. (laughs) 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 We'll get to it. That's quite all right, yeah. Are you in love with the uh, core mechanics and, and UI design of Fallout? Well, I think you saw first that there's definitely some places they could have uh, touched up on the UI a bit. You don't like tiny buttons? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love tiny buttons. What are you talking about? Why they call you Adrian Tiny Buttons? <laughs> That's like his mobster name. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing, Golem? I have been pretty much since March, I think, playing the PSP outside of the commune, but I just got a new game for it last night. Outrun 2006 apparently came out on PSP, and that's exciting. Ah, is that from the computer also? Is that the same as Outrun Coast to Coast, or is that different? Right, there's like several releases of Outrun 2, and I don't know how they're all related, but Coast to Coast is one of them. And that's a, it's a driving type game, right? You just it's, There's really no racing, it's more like checkpoint to checkpoint? Right, it's I think they call it a checkpoint racer, where you just try to get so far within the time limit. And how does 2006 mix things up? In the original game, it's pretty straightforward. Just you, uh, you have gears, you can steer left and right, uh, you have so much grip on the road. And 2006 doesn't add too much, but you get different cars to choose from that handle differently, and drifting is a very big part of the game. I've tried a couple of different Saturn racers in recent months. I have. I spent some time with Sega Rally. I spent some time with Daytona USA. But out of all the Sega racers I've played, the drifting in 2006 is probably the easiest to handle. It's very intuitive. Okay, now for Rally, let's enter Act 1 character building. Yourself, when you first start a game of Fallout, the first thing you, you see is a character creation window. And you can pick from a predefined character, or you can make your one of your own. How did you go through this process? Admittedly, I kind of already had it in mind, or just immediately had a concept of what I wanted to do with my character. I uh, decided I was going to try to do hand-to-hand melee combat. That was based both on the fact that I know that's a typical build in RPGs, and it's one I've never tried before, and also based on the fact that I generally don't get too into dialogue or anything. So I I just sort of went through the stats looking for stuff that I thought would help me in combat and in particular without using weapons. Okay, so you you had an idea of how the game was going to play out in your head and you built a character around that? Yeah, I basically, instead of building up a character based on like what stats sounded appealing, I tried to start with a concept in mind because that just typically seems to work better than... Spreading out all your stats, I feel like, is generally not something that works that great in RPGs. Or at least I kind of like to commit to something. You look at the stats list, and they all do good things. So you want all stats, but then you just end up with a build that goes nowhere. Right. I think you get more out of choosing complementary skills than you get out of choosing arbitrary skills. So when I put a point in endurance and a point in strength, those complement each other because those are both combat-related statistics. Even though it's only costing me two points, I sort of get more out of that than if I were to put one into strength and one into charisma because those don't have any interaction, really. Okay, so how was your experience with making a character, Adrian? I know you had just started playing or hadn't gotten very far, so I'm actually (laughs) curious your thoughts are. Uh, I picked the first thing that was on the screen. It was a Max Stone. I picked it because I saw a lot of stats. I remember going through this game before where there was a lot of stats. I tried to look at every single one of them, but of course I don't know anything about the game. And I didn't know anything about how Fallout played, so I'm about as blind as they come. Mm-hmm. So I just went with the first thing the game gave to me with one of its preset characters. I didn't think too much about it. 
Okay. How do you usually go through a character creation process? Do you find it important to know how the game works beforehand, or do you not mind going in blind like that? Normally, when you're doing second or third playthrough, that's when that kind of thing matters more. But on the first playthrough, the character creation, I kind of go through it very quickly. Demon Souls, I have the same experience where it's like, oh, look at all these 12 characters. I don't know how to distinguish one from the other, so I just went with the first thing that was on the top of the menu. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I went with that. I'm kind of different in that. I like to at least... I won't know what, the, what any of the stats mean, but I'll go with, with, with my own preconceived idea of what something is. So, like, I'll see strength, and I'll figure that goes for damage, and I'll just try and build something out of what I might know from other games. So, Fox, you more like to start by experimenting or, like, by making a hypothesis about how things will work, where, I guess, Adrian, your approach is more that you don't even want to be trying to guess at something when you don't even know when you're, what you're going to be interacting with. Like, first and foremost comes, like, what kind of situations are going to be in this game? What kind of gameplay am I going to have to deal with? So until you know that, choosing stats doesn't even matter to you. Yeah, and when there's pretty preset builds, I usually feel safe under the assumption that the designers aren't going to screw me over from the gate. <laughs> so, hey, this build's here. <laughs> Just have a build with all the skills set down to one. <laughs> Give it a that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing. <laughs> I mean, that's like the... Well, I mean, Dark Souls has a class that's that. I can't remember what it's called. Well. Uh, but well, yeah, the like, wimp class have, thing. If it's a, like, um, a challenge class, that's something different. Yeah. That would be something easier to spot, I would assume. Yeah, so, uh-huh. yeah. But otherwise, I, I usually put faith that they give me a, a build that you can go through the game with. So still, though, that suggests your concern is making just making it through the game that first time, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Fallout certainly seems like the kind of game that wants to be played a lot of times. Yeah, it seems to be the appeal of it. Yeah, by the looks of it, say so. Okay, so that was very informative. Why are you playing 63? What can you tell me about... You've got Carl, right? Yeah. How did Carl come to be? I loaded up the game, I streamed it for people, and they told me what to pick. <laughs> yeah. Everyone yelled at him. He's a character by committee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So, so I guess I didn't really have a whole lot of, uh, I don't know what the word. Clear vision? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really, because I didn't really know what anything... I don't really play a whole lot of games where I get to make the personality traits, you know. I just, uh, you know, most of the character creators I do are just with physical stuff. That's all cosmetics. Uh, So I'm not really used to this process where I get to determine stuff like, oh, hey, I can uh, observe things better or I can sweet-talk things better. It's it's, uh, it's a brave new world for me. Okay. If you weren't being hollered at, while you were playing, would you have gone with a pre-made character? <laughs> that was what I did at first when I was testing the game out, but I thought maybe this kind of thing might be more fun to mess around with the stats since that can determine different things that the preloads wouldn't have, potentially. Okay. So for you... Something a little more fine-tuned, I suppose. Yeah. So for you as someone who doesn't really have any idea what to expect from the game... You like to get ideas? I mean, you like to get a basic understanding of what you're going to get into before you make a character? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment. I want to know how things are going to roll if I go this way or that way. Frankly, you know, there's just too much choices. <laughs> too many choices, too many consequences. I <laughs> Reading that Warren Spector piece... It made me think of the Fallout character select screen reading that Warren Spector article when he talks about having a whole laundry list of stats and you can tweak any of them from 0 to 100 and you can go through with a fine-tooth comb but it all kind of, you know, when you take the larger view it kind of looks like nonsense and it doesn't make sense. And uh, You mean it doesn't, like, coalesce into a bigger picture? Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's definitely... Not intuitive at first glance, or I mean, it doesn't translate well into a. It, someone can't look at it and get an image in their head on it, like you said. 
Yeah, I find that Fallout is fairly representative of a certain type of RPG that I've played previously, which is that like, or or which is ones in which the customization is based on. Well, a lot of it is skills. Uh, so the stats, you might say, are fairly straightforward, but allocating skill points and perks are all very specific things. And this kind of goes back to what I was talking about where stuff like synergizing, where it's hard to figure that out when you're talking about skills like lockpick and doctor and small guns, which don't directly interact in any way. Like, you could put all your skill points, or uh, at every level up, put all your skill points into lockpick, and it's very easy to play the game and never use that skill once. When you're choosing those, which of those to specialize in and stuff, I do see in, like, this kind of game more so, it is really hard to guess, like, how the hell useful are these going to be? Whereas... Mm -hmm when you have just like stats like strength, defense, intelligence, and luck or something like that, like you might get in a basic JRPG, it's very easy to see how those play into every single situation in the game. Yeah, There's a limited set of interactions that you have in combat, whereas when you're talking about navigating a world and having to clear these adventure game style puzzles, it's not exactly clear what those puzzles will be made up of. Right, so Fallout is a lot less like, how do I, or, or it's a lot more like, can I do these things, or what capabilities do I want to give to the character, versus like, what inclination do I want to give to them? Yeah, I have an example of when I encountered a moment like that. It was in Deus Ex Human Revolution, in the upgrades, where there's stuff like, being able to resist, you know, poisonous gas or whatever. It's like, how many times do enemies throw, yeah. you know, toxic gas in the game or compression things? And one of them is, like, punch a hole through the wall and, like, stealth knock them out or whatever. And it's like, I think there was only three walls in the entire game you could do that. So... Yeah, that, that game definitely like, had oh, some... I bought this power. That game definitely had some really garbage skills, but luckily they were clearly... I mean, I could tell, like, yeah, I'm not going to need the poison gas one. That's stupid. And, like, extending yeah. the range of my radar, like, 50 meters, I'm not going to need that. Yeah, especially when it's hard to get a grip of how much is a meter in this game. Right. So that was the thing in that game, but I ended up having so many maxes points because I would ghost all the levels that I just bought it just for the shits of it. And I found a spot where I could use it, so I'm like, eh, might as well. Yeah, so I think in terms of the really specific skills, that's true in Deus Ex as well. But Deus Ex also forces you through fairly similar situations, no matter how you're playing the game. I mean, we could talk about how there's a ton of variety compared to, like, a standard shoot 'em up but compared to Fallout, I would say that Deus Ex is much more straightforward, where in Fallout, if the only way it seems that I can progress in some quest or something is to break into a bunch of doors, then if I don't have the appropriate skills for that, I'm just not going to do that at all and move on to a totally different area. Like, I don't need to do lateral thinking. Probably, eventually, you run out of things that you can just ignore and move on from, but you can find the quest that you're going to be good at. I feel like, like you don't have to do everything, and I think it's unrealistic to expect to do everything in the game with one specific character build. Yeah, it's a good thought. Golan, what, what is your process for character development? The first thing that went into my character was that you had mentioned that dialogue was a big part of Fallout, so I wanted to make sure that my character could do everything that I would want in dialogue because um, I knew you could buy armor, you could buy guns, etc. So I knew if I needed to get by in combat, there was some amount of negotiation there. But mm -hmm. the idea that I got, and I'm pretty sure it does work this way, is that your choices on the special chart at the beginning of the game influence how many dialogue choices you'll have throughout the entire game, right? Correct. Yeah. 
uh, in the sense that certain dialogue options only appear if you've met a certain skill or prereq. Right. So that was really scary. So I wanted to make sure <laughs> that I didn't run into any problems with that. So I think I went um, with charisma, and there was another... Intelligence affects yeah, that. Yes. Charisma intelligence I prioritized. And, and for that, starting off with Albert was useful, but then um, I, I did rebalance that default character. Let's see. I also put some towards small guns. I just figured regular little guns would probably be the most plentiful. And that I was gauging just based on, I don't know, it seemed like if this game has guns, then it's probably going to have most of the normal guns. So I emphasized that so that I would be able to get through any combat situations. And um, probably the most interesting thing is that I keep wanting to use lockpick. Like, there's so many cool lockers. Last night I had to use dynamite to blow up in a door because uh, there was an interesting character on the other side of the wall. And I really wanted to get to that character, but I didn't see any other way except through this locked door. <laughs> but my lockpick skill is only like 35%. Yeah. Do you have a lockpick kit? Yeah, I actually... <laughs> I know I picked up a lockpick kit sometime last night, but I think it was after getting through that door. Okay, yeah. I found one of those, and it's made breaking into stuff really easy. Are those... It's just, just a technical question. Are those infinite? It looks like you have finite lockpicks there, but I can't tell how many I have left. I'm fairly certain they're infinite. I... What? don't really know otherwise. Like a, a lockpick item? Yeah. I mean, you can get more than one, but I don't think they go away. I, I know I've got an electric lockpick, and I, I, I'm assuming they work the same way. Well, electric lockpick. That's a sonic screwdriver. Uh, so, it, boy, that seems kind of game-breaking. Why would you even have a lockpick skill? Just to get yeah, it over the first few hours? They don't just automatically open the doors, right? Uh, no. I imagine doors have levels, probably. Mm. Like, so the easy doors you're dealing with now are probably easy to crack open. Okay. Okay, so you got an impression from me and that dictated... So you had an idea of what the rest of the game was going to be like, and you sort of created a character based off of those expectations? Yeah. So I actually have a question for you based on that. So you said you wanted to see you know, all the dialogue options, get the most out of that possible. But you still didn't put 10 points each in charisma and intelligence. Why was that? Well, I assumed that the game would have forced fighting, and I'm pretty sure you do actually have to fight. Like, there's, you can't sweet-talk your way past giant mole rats or whatever. I would um, be surprised if people like Fallout as much as they do if it has forced fighting in it. Fox with sword. You can run away from everything. Okay. Um, maybe that's just a... that unfair, but so I, I can see why you, why you get the impression, given there are an awful lot of them. Yeah, it seems like it would at least make the game harder if you can't be competent in combat. So you weren't ready to commit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe I'd be ready to commit in a later playthrough, but for now, I wanted some measure of leniency that if. I couldn't figure out a dialogue option or whatever, or right. if there was a forced fight, which it doesn't look like there is, that I would at least have the option to rely on my fighting skills. Right. You give yourself some margin of error, so if it turns out you really suck at dialogue, your character's not totally bent. Right. Okay. How has your character affected your decision-making? So you've got a, a charismatic, intelligent character... I imagine it makes you play a certain way. Yeah. I've noticed that sometimes I get dialogue options that sound sarcastic, and I try not to choose them, but sarcasm goes over characters' heads sometimes. Um, so I feel like I get dialogue options that are phrased with more nuance than I really get at the time, and... Um, I'll save if I can tell an important conversation is coming up, and then I'll just run through the conversation in different ways. Like, um, last night I ran into a super mutant, and he was like, whoa, I can't let normal people through here. I only let ghouls through. And so I just wanted to see what happened if, it, if I told him I was normal, and then I got to meet his leader, and he took over Vault 13, and that was that. 
But then I, I played through again, and I lied and said, no, I'm a ghoul. And the super mutant was just like, oh, okay, uh, that's my bad. Yeah, come on, everyone knows super mutants are idiots. <laughs> cool. Does this ever cause you problems, trying to get your character bow? Does it ever bit you in the butt? Well, I feel... I mean, there's the lockpick thing I just mentioned, and, uh, no, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like my character build has ever been responsible for, you know, my failures in gameplay. I feel like sometimes I don't understand the full scope of the game, or maybe I don't get where my options fit into the larger scheme of the game, but I don't think, like, my raw stats have been responsible for, for holding me back. Okay. So you think in spite of your character build, uh, everything else is... The game's still playable such that your, your build is sufficient to do anything you want. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, even though it is tended towards conversation, that it's still within like a boring medium space where it's generally effective for a lot of different things. So actually, you mentioned an example of uh, blowing up a door because you wanted to see a guy behind it. Have there been other instances where you felt like there was something you wanted to do, but then you couldn't? Because your build is holding you back? You don't think that <clears throat> you've had that scenario? Honestly, only with other logs. Like, I really wanted to get into Killian's safe, but just the lockpick skill didn't work out. I really want to unlock stuff. <laughs> Sounds like you should have done all charisma and int and then put your skills in, like, lockpick and sneak, right? Yeah, I guess I should have played a thief. Yeah. I guess that gets back to Adrian's point, where I didn't know what to expect in the game. Why would I expect lockpicking to be a big part of Fallout? Because it's there as a, it's offered, right? So you're supposed to assume that, oh, there must be a point to taking this. Well, I mean, poison resistance is another thing you can put points into. <laughs> yeah, no, this is what we were just talking about. <laughs> about Deus Ex and, yeah. Poison resistant gambler will be a very useful build, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so, Adrian, you went with a predefined character. I'm very interested to hear how that's affected your decision-making and how it's worked out for you so far. Well, it seems like my character is too dumb to have many decisions at all, since... Well, I haven't, admittedly, I haven't gotten that far in the game, but I swear I saw it when you guys were playing in the one stream that I was around for, that you guys were able to get different... Uh, dialogue options because of character's intelligence or charisma or something. My character does not have, is not very high in either, either of those. He's kind of a brick house. So, you know, when I go to the guy in, is it Shady Town? I think it's Shady Sands or something. Um, he's like, hey, these scorpions, they're annoying. Get rid of them. And it's like, okay. And so I got rid of them. And then I go to, you know, Gizmo. And he's like, kill the mayor. And I'm like, I can say no, or I can say, okay, there's no sweet-talking option, or there's no negotiation. Yeah, that was, and, I noticed watching you talk to Gizmo and, that you really only had the yes and you had the no, whereas I would consistently have several options. Yeah, so, that was another moment where that happened. Ian did not, I don't think Ian offered to join me, or offered me any jobs. I think he did offer, like, his assistance if I paid him 100 bottle caps, but... I don't know. I remember Warrior Fan got an option with Ian in Shady Sands that I did not get. And that's how, well, affected or didn't affect my decisions in the game. Okay. So you're picking a Bruiser character. Do you feel like that's limited you significantly? Like other things you want to do, but you feel like you're not allowed to because of your build? Yeah. Well, I've gone in and stolen people's stuff anyways. So, you know, I got to do that as much as I want. And of course, that doesn't limit me from, you know, talking to people exploring. I think there's probably one part in Vault 13 where there looked like there was something I could blow up, but of course, if the game doesn't let me use the dynamite, I can't. And I think that was just another example of perception being a thing. So I just had to leave Vault 13 even though I hit the bottom and, you know, just leave. I see. Otherwise, that's about it. I'm at the hub, which is where I'm getting missions, and right now I was just offered a mission to help out with the caravan in two days. So, yeah, that's cool. I, I can definitely add more to this you know, when I actually play more, because I feel like I'm still at an early part of the game. We still have other podcasts where we can chat more, so it's good to have the perspective of someone that's just so far in and has a character that's different from everyone else. 
Do you feel like your responses to Fox are limited by your character selection? Are they limited by your intelligence and charisma? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, a good, good thing I put all my uh, stats into charisma few, or I'd be in trouble at this podcast. <laughs> well, uh, you, since you brought it up, Carlos is very charismatic. How has that influenced the game experience for you, Warrior Fan? Evidently, that made Ian join me for free. You're such, Which, such a sweet talker. I know. I'm just like, hey, buddy. That's a pretty sweet uh, Metallica jacket you got there. I remember them five years ago. How about you uh, come kill some giant mole rats with me and uh, call it a day, huh? Huh? I'll charge you absolutely nothing. And he's like, yeah, sign me the hell up. All right. So it's it's been a major boon, it sounds like. You can get anyone to do whatever you want. Yeah, and I'm kind of hoping that, you know, this, this uh, benefits me in the long run. You know, maybe I can talk to uh, Mr. Deadman guy or whatever and say, hey, buddy, you look uh, pretty fetching today. How about you uh, don't kill me? Call off your goons. He'll probably be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. It seems like whenever money is involved, there's consistently an option to talk down the price. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't ever see options to talk down prices. I'm, I'm also a pretty sweet barterer. I uh, sold all my flares for a gun. Well, hey, you can't shoot a flare. <laughs> who, who needs flares anyway? Have you? No, uh, wait, no, it was all my flares for a rope. <laughs> I think it was all my flares, maybe a few bullets. I didn't know how to barter, so. There's actually another thing I wanted to bring up, and but this one doesn't have to do with stats. It actually, has to do with the items. And the ropes are is another example of things that I'm kind of keeping around just because I don't know when. I may or may not need a rope. So the items that you decide to keep. I haven't hit my carrying capacity yet, but um, that's another thing that um, I suspect is going to come up in the future where I'm going to need to decide to drop things. And I don't know. It's like maybe I should keep these ropes or maybe I shouldn't. And that goes back to what we were talking about with skills and what skills should you stick with or not. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Like I did... That exact example, I bought a bunch of ribs just in case I needed them, and it ended up paying off. You do get to a point where you can't carry everything, and moreover, it's just annoying as hell to carry everything. <laughs> and you need to you know, make educated guesses about things you might be able to get use out of. Like, I'm not going to carry around grenades that I'm never going to use just because there's a 5% chance I run into a bunch of super mutants I can't beat. Yeah. I actually did sell all my guns because I'm mainly playing a bruiser character because all of his gun stats are pretty poor, and it seems like a total waste to invest skill points just to bring up my gun stats from like 30 or 60 to, you know, 100 or something respectable, like 70 or 80. So right now it's just brass knuckles everywhere. <laughs> okay, and let's wind down with yourself. What can you tell me about your character? How's your characters working out in the world? Pretty well. Naturally, with a combat-focused character, I tend to just uh, stick to combat situations or stick to accepting jobs that I think are going to be easy based on that. It affects my item management, like we were just describing. Like Adrian, I sell off most of my guns. Even some stuff like a book about science or something, I'll usually sell off because I don't think I need it. In terms of interacting with other characters, I have the luxury of being fairly carefree about it because there are not a lot of combat situations that are over my head. My character can pretty much just fight his way out. So, you know, with Gizmo, for instance, something that we've all done, I just went in and insulted him a whole bunch because I didn't care. And... <laughs> He picked a fight with me, and I killed him. And there was, you know, a gang hideout in that town that I just walked into, and they all attacked me, so I killed them. <laughs> so it's fun to operate with a sense of great invulnerability. It seems like when you get into dialogue with someone, it can devolve into combat. That's like the place where it ends. Once someone fights you, you can't talk with them anymore. But that's where you, your build shines. 
Yeah, I pretty much just get straight to that point as fast as possible. There was another one in um, Junktown, I guess. Dr. Morbid was another one that I was able to talk into fighting me. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't work out well for him. (laughs) You don't have to talk people into it. You can just punch them. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, I interact with people because sometimes, you know, I'm a bit mercurial. Sometimes I want to take a quest and sometimes uh, if they, you know, I don't like them a lot. Like if they're trying to talk to me about church or something or (laughs) trading or uh, water, I don't want to hear about that sometimes. So I just hit them. (laughs) Okay. So it sounds like your build's uh, kind of the inverse of some of ours, whereas you've got, you don't have as much charisma and intelligence, but you have enough strength that you don't have to worry about those sorts of encounters. You can sort of waltz into town and, and do your own thing without worrying about the consequences. Yeah, that's kind of what I like about it, that it, you know, there's a sense of security, though I am getting to the point where I'm starting to wonder if I'm, like, missing out on stuff, because... Uh, For instance, I was just at the Brotherhood headquarters and was talking to someone, and I won't spoil anything, but I was talking to someone and asking them about the water chip, and it seemed like they knew something, but I couldn't get anything out of them. And there was no point in fighting them in that situation, especially because I get material gains from being in the Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like, you know, I was potentially going to have to work a little harder do a little more poking around on my own to get anything out of that because I couldn't sweet talk them. Right. So that seemed like a case where your your strength wasn't good enough. Do you think that happens a lot, or is that a very rare occurrence where you'll, you'll find something just beyond your means that you want? The thing is, I have been, you know, as I describe, I've kind of just been wandering around doing whatever. So... There's not a lot of specific stuff I'm looking for out of any given interaction. For instance, when I talked to Gizmo, I didn't realize that, like, I was supposed to be arresting him or something, something, something that Darkwater wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just talking to him to see what happened. So generally speaking, I don't feel like uh, there's stuff just out of reach. Although, a more specific one was there was a piece of electronics that I wanted to use and couldn't because my skill wasn't high enough and that was annoying. I'll throw this in just because uh, my character is actually different that he doesn't have that security because I encountered kind of my first BS moment in the game where I turned down Gizmo but when I tried to kill him, Izo, Ivo, whatever his name is was very clearly like stronger than my character, but when I tried to run away, he had so many action points that even when I used all my action points to run, he could run that entire space and then still hit me, whereas most other enemies in the game prior to that point, if I move six spaces, they move six spaces, and then they can't do anything. Um, That case was different, so he was on the verge of killing me as I was on the way out the door. Um, That's just a difference with my character. Huh. Yeah, I also should note, I guess, another thing that a choice I made based on my character was I have Dogmeat as a partner because I figured he'd be useful in combat. And that is an instance where he definitely having him around definitely helped me out. It does seem like okay. Ian is way more powerful uh, than me. It's the jacket. <laughs> yeah, on the opposite side, I, yeah, I, I don't think I had Dogmeat. On the opposite side, I rarely feel Go confident Fox. just... Uh, being sarcastic with people because my focus was in agility and perception. So I'm trying to weasel my way around around people to do the things I want. And if I see something going to sour, I, I rely on, on Ian and Dogmeat to take care of anything for me and just hide in the shadows until they're done. So I'm, I play a little cowardly, maybe? Scared of, <laughs> of when things could go bad. So I have none of that security, but I've got access to different things. You just have muscle to do the work for you. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, I guess to follow up on what Adrian said, another thing I've had to keep in mind is that I have been trying to kill lots of stuff. Like, I say I just wander around, but I make sure to kill anything I get a chance to so that my level stays competitive. 
yeah, like whereas with, uh, with right Fox, now my character's yeah. only on my character's only level three. That's it. <laughs> okay, it's probably about what I was at that point, though. So Fox, how do you get yeah. experience? Then, uh, do you just sneak I'm, around all the time. I'm able to take to work out in some combat. I've got a lot of points in small guns, so where it works, I can like take on individual guys and just shoot them in the eyes until they're done. <laughs> Don't you get experience points for your party members killing guys? Yeah, you do that too. Okay, yeah. And then for a lot of the non-violent resolutions, I think you get more experience. Oh, okay. Does Sorry. that happen like only when you finish a job or are there like like if you convince a character to do something or say something, can you get experience points for it? Uh, don't quite know what you mean. Um, well, for one example, there's you're in Junk Town, and one of the quests is to get rid of the skulls. Right. There are two ways of doing that. You can kill them all, or you can convince one of them to testify against the rest of them in court. Wow, Junk Town has a court. I uh, wouldn't have suspected. <laughs> it's probably just a general story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you get more experience for doing the testify thing than for just killing them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we just concluded the portion on character building. Probably one of the more important aspects of Fallout is its range of dialogue and what you're allowed to do in the context of conversation. So starting off with that, I'd like to ask Wario Fan, what do you believe? Can you describe how you've seen conversation utilized in Fallout and what sorts of things you can do with it? It's clearly used to uh, befriend Ian and. <laughs> barter and talk. I, I am not very far in the game. I did go back and uh, talk to the head vault man, and uh, I complimented him. said, why don't you go out there and do it sweet cheeks or something like that. He was like, stop messing around with me. Just take my glass letters and guns and get out. Yeah, well, you showed him. <laughs> okay, so you showed two cases. Uh, you can sweet talk people and get them to do things for you. Yeah. All right. Uh, when, you, when you're going to enter a conversation in Fallout, does your approach change because of the game you're playing, or do you approach conversation the same way in any game? I guess it really depends on the circumstances. Like, if, sometimes I'll pick the goofy answers just to see what that could possibly lead to, just to get a reaction out of the characters. Like, I was watching Golem play the other day, and he was talking to the skeleton man, and he had an option to pick uh, if he flosses at all. <laughs> and I, oh, that, that'd be funny. But he decided to be on good terms with him. And I, I'm like, oh, man, I really want to know the answer. <laughs> so that plays pretty strongly into your decision to pick an option. Uh, <laughs> if you think you're going to get a laugh out of it, you're going to go for that one? If they're not going to kill me afterwards, yeah, I'll, I think I, I'd like to try just just because I can, I guess. And I feel like maybe I got enough charisma I could actually get away with it. I see. So your build plays directly into how you approach conversation. Potentially, yes. <laughs> okay. Yourself, you've described yourself as a sarcastic bruiser that likes to knock people around. How, how have you handled dialogue in this game? Yeah, so I just, uh, in any dialogue situation, I try to choose the options that will get me out of dialogue fastest while also, like, maybe getting some information. Like, I don't always quit right away. But, you know, I try to get through real quick and not have to listen to a lot of garbage. If there's, like, you know, ask if you've heard any rumors, I'm not going to click on that. Or, like, tell me about Rhombus. I'm not going to click on that. Anything that has to do with a water chip is pretty much all I will interact with people about. Okay. So you're, you're laser focused. You don't want to hear any flavor text. You just you have the thing you want to do, and you want all the information you can get to getting that done. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So how do you approach dialogue in this game? Do you approach it differently at all because you're playing Fallout from how you would play another game? It depends. I would say that there's such a broad spectrum, but it, generally speaking, yes, I do just try to get through dialogue quickly. The first comparison that comes to mind... Uh, that we all played was Undertale. And it's not exactly the same as a dialogue system, but all the acting that you could do to 
befriend characters is similar in concept. And I just totally skipped that and did the fight option because I didn't care about any of that. So I guess would it, would it be a... Uh would be short-sighted to say that you find one thing you like in a game and anything else be damned. You don't care about the conversation. You're just going to go do, try and get to that thing you like as much as possible. Yeah. Generally speaking, I'm not going to do anything that prolongs the story as long as you're allowing that any type of dialogue that doesn't directly contribute to gameplay is story. Not that I don't like story in games. It's more that that's not how I like interacting with story, really. Dialogue. Okay. Adrian, recent your experiences, what's the role of dialogue then in your game? Well, because my character is a bit of an idiot, I've only been able to use it as ways for either A, starting quests, and B, gathering whatever information that I can. Characters will tell me about new areas, about, hey, there's this gang, and oh, there's these raiders, there's this scorpion cave, there's this guy in this town, hey, have you heard about this dude named Gizmo? Usually that's how it kind of plays out, and that's what I've mainly been using the dialogue for. I haven't been able to engage as much with the different choices because my character has no charisma or brains. Yeah, note that no matter how low your charisma is, people still love to bitch about their problems at you. <laughs> All right, so you're still you're, you're pursuing dialogue, but there's not a lot to find there, right? Yeah. And it's not uncommon for characters where I ask, hey, can you tell me about the water chip? And they go, oh, I don't know anything about that. So it's not uncommon to have certain dead ends like that. But then you ask them about other stuff, and okay, here's a new lead that I can go on. Okay. So it's it's sort of like a trail of breadcrumbs. This This is one way to the next. This is, I'll talk to you, and you'll tell me where the next point on my trail is. Yeah, and in that aspect, it's kind of, Typical for adventure games and other RPGs. Okay. That makes sense. Golem, you're a diplomat, I hear. How does that shape your game? <laughs> well, in Fallout, as in real life, I want all people to like me at all times. So, <laughs> for example, if we take the Gizmo-Killian situation, you can go ahead and take a job from Gizmo, and then you can go ahead and take a job from Killian, and then once you have the two jobs, you can weigh them against each other and decide which I would rather do and typically once I have all the options I go towards the one that I feel like a good guy would do but I still want to have all the options first once you've got all the options how do you pick one or the other pretty much just what a good guy would do (laughs) like (laughs) how how do you determine what that is come on yeah all the moral ambiguity so so Killian has like very normal lighting he has a deep voice, but not like a threateningly deep voice. And uh, he's actually, he's like very practical, he's funny. Whereas Gizmo, he has creepy lighting, and he talks about how he likes killing people who get in his way, whereas the mayor wants to prove that people are bad and then lock them up. So I feel like morality in Fallout is not very complicated. Morality and lighting. Also, <laughs> right. <laughs> Something worth mentioning is that in the original planning of Fallout's endings, when you, when you beat the game, you get a slide of how all the different towns have fared because of your actions. In the original planning, if you had sided with Killian, Junktown would have been worse off because Killian is very narrow-minded in his idea of justice, and he, he, he sort of ruins Junktown. But Gizmo, as the capital he is, makes Junktown very prosperous in his casino and bringing people around. Whoa. Yeah, we all know casino beats justice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's probably a moot point now since it's not how the game works. So do you approach dialogue any differently in Fallout than in other games? Yeah, extremely. This is the first game that I have played in the ilk of so-called Western RPGs. You know, the kind of game where you have a lot of dialogue options that impact how the game can play out. Uh, (laughs) So, Uh, like, (laughs) you know, in Super Mario RPG, when Mallow says, like, can I follow you? And your dialogue choices are yes and no. Like, you know, of course that's not going to be the same (laughs) approach to dialogue as in Fallout. Uh, I still find that I pick wacky answers, though, where possible. 
Yeah, I think it would apply that your approach to dialogue in Super Mario RPG and Fallout probably have more similarities than my approach to dialogue in Super Mario RPG and Fallout. Which would you say has more complex morality, though? Uh, probably Super Mario RPG. Cause yeah, I do think there's a lot of ambiguity there. The The bad guy is a guy who makes tools. So he's like, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's awfully hypocritical of Mario to be killing a sword with a hammer, like, as if hammers are somehow more moral than swords are. Okay, and what sorts of things have you used dialogue for? The game has a number of parallel goals. The first and foremost, or, well, I guess just the first, is to find a water chip. And parallel to that is keeping yourself alive, which involves the sub-goals of, like, you gotta have money, and you gotta have stim packs, and you gotta have ways to attack people, etc. So, it gets kind of messy and gooey, because dialogue can play into the resource options you have, it can play into what you can learn about the water chip and the world, so I find that completely the opposite of yourself. I try to glean as much information as possible, because the main thing I'm looking for, the water chip, any information about it seems to be like a needle in a haystack. So, like, you know, someone casually mentions, oh, by the way, underneath the cathedral there's a vault. Like, what? Like, that's important. You can't... Uh, I wouldn't have found that if I hadn't been poking into every single dialogue option. So dialogue in that... The way that you describe it there, dialogue sounds almost akin to an exploration challenge. I mean, I guess that makes sense, considering they're both structured as trees. Yeah, there's definitely, like, you know... A sense of completion to it where, like, okay, I went down every single tree. I saw everything this character could have possibly said. And uh, in- information is definitely a resource in the game. Speaking of that, how many of you guys have used the uh, Tell Me About feature at all? I ask about the uh, water chip from time uh, to time. I've used it a few times. I have not had any luck with it. I've tried it a couple times and generally only got information I could have gotten. Otherwise, yourself and I had this conversation, yeah. and like, um, I've been able to use it a couple of times to get unique information, but like, nothing game changing. I've mostly been using it as like a reward so I can hear all of the voice acting in the game. <laughs> that, that is a very good excuse. That's that's partly why I wanted to mess with the uh, head vault guy because I liked, I liked him reacting to the goofy questions. <laughs> Okay. I think that covers Act 2. So just one thought I have, in that this might dis- is a thing that probably will distinguish Fallout from other things. And much that it goes to what yourself was saying about you can't expect to do everything, is that in the situation with Gizmo and Killian, what makes Fallout different is probably going to be the fact that you will have quests, or you will have an option between two quests, or maybe multiple depending on what situations come up later in the game, but you can't do all of them because the quests will be in direct conflict with each other or one will lock out options that were necessary for another, etc., etc. And that's something very different to quests in other games where you can play, you can finish them, but in Fallout, that's not the case. With stat building, as with taking quests, you can't max it out. You have to commit to something. Yeah, I think that that's fundamental to role-playing, like that mutual exclusivity. If you could do everything, then what about it would be playing a specific role? I might be more used to that because I've played a number of WRPGs already, so I kind of have that expectation that I'm going to have to make choices about what stuff I want to do, and that's going to stop me from doing other things. Okay, now I'll shuffle us off into the quote I found. This is from... A Gamma Sutra article by Warren Spector, who forgot the role in role-playing games. And he says, Our goal should be to make combat an option, but not always the best, and never the only one. Encourage non-combat interactions, especially conversation. We can't compromise conversation, a terrific tool for differentiating characters, and still call a game an RPG. Um, reflecting on what we said earlier about character building and conversation, 
How do you rank conversation as a conflict resolver, Adrian? Yeah, I, I haven't seen that much. Uh, as far as I know, the only way to keep Gizmo from wanting to kill me is to pretend to accept his quest. And that's really the only thing I can think of. It's funny that when Gizmo, you know, orders a hit on the mayor, that's a that gets phrased as a quest. That's just funny to me. <laughs> um, so you just said all you really had was the option to like accept or decline a quest, and that's as far as you've gotten from conflict to avoid being killed by Gizmo. Yeah. You said, "Sure, I'll." Yeah. Kill him. yeah, yeah, but I just—it's just to also clarify that because I'm not that far in the game. I haven't had the situations where I could use. Uh, conversation to worm my way out of uh, someone being hostile. Mm-hmm. And in, in Fallout, or in, in just games in general, sometimes you'll have multiple resolutions and they can be violent or nonviolent. Do you prefer picking a particular approach? How do you make decisions like that? Depends on the game. With Fallout, to me, it doesn't bother me as much if I use the conversation to get out of the fight. And that's because... and no one kill me for this. I don't find the combat in this game to be all that interesting. It's actually kind of dull and boring. In a game like Deus Ex, because it's more real-time and action-based, I am more willing to get in a fight should someone provoke me. Because I know I can actually like use skill and I don't have to rely on the stats game. And, oh, my stats aren't good enough compared to theirs. Guess I'm fucked. And there I can you know, actually play using skill and beat the hell out of them. So... That's the difference. So your value on conversation and decision-making ties directly into how much you value uh, violence versus non-violence in the game? It depends on how much I've actually been enjoying the combat. Yeah. Because otherwise, to me, combat, I usually find more enriching gameplay than um, just being able to take a few dialogue boxes and say, okay, I won the challenge. As cool as that little conversation minigame in Deus Ex was... Which I would try to win those. That's the one time when conversation was made interesting to me. If if that mini game wasn't there, and you know there was an option to fight a character, I'm not averse to taking them on and wiping them out. Okay. So if you're if you're like hanging around town and you you've had a lot of fun punching limbs off of people, getting into a conversation, and depending on how much fun you had doing that, it's going to affect how much how, how much you care about the conversation or the person you're into it. Like if dialogue is just yeah one thing you're getting different. Mm-hmm that fun, then you know which direction you're going to pick. Yeah, and with um, stealth versus combat, because stealth is another way to be non-violent in the game. Mm-hmm. But of, if I play stealth and I'm in a situation where, uh, I don't know if I can stealth this, I think it's time to go combat mode on them. But um, so, sometimes, though, I will take the dialogue options just if it's there, just because it's something that I don't see often. I know in Deus Ex... Uh, there are some times when you actually can just talk someone out of just leaving alone or letting you through a door or something. And I don't know. I guess what I realize is that I'm very fickle about when I decide to do that or not. So I actually don't know. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All I know is that in Fallout, I don't enjoy as much. So, yeah. Okay, go on. As a diplomat opposed to a bruiser, how do you rank conversation for resolving conflict? So just a technical question, actually, about Fallout. Once someone attacks you, can you ever talk to them again? I really don't think so. So, it seems to me that in Fallout, dialogue is more of a conflict preventer. You might say that two people are in conflict with one another, and so they argue or something. But once that conflict evolves to violence, you can't get back out of violence. So... I view dialogue as a way of preventing that violent conflict. Okay, that makes sense. When you've got multiple resolutions, combat versus non-combat, which do you prefer? Definitely non-combat, just because I feel like Adrian and yourself, if they want to get the most out of the gameplay, and in other games commonly, combat is a very interesting way of interacting with people, and I agree but they're willing to take on challenges more than I am, whereas I would rather just find the way that requires the least application of skill on my part. Like, if I can find the way to cheese it through Fallout, then that's how I'm going to (laughs) play. Okay, so skill on your part being Golem the Human? Yeah, yeah. 
you're not very interested in, in waging into a war, into a combat, just because you don't feel like putting that set of skills to the test. You're more interested in going through the other route. Yeah. Okay. Your experience with conversation, is it enough to make a playthrough unique? Is the conversation varied at all? Yeah, I think we were saying earlier that you at least can't take quests that are in opposition to one another. That's a very basic example of how dialogue choices can make one playthrough different than another. And it's solely due to the branching nature of conversations and how they affect the kind of mutually exclusive uh, results. Right, in that if two playthroughs are going to be different, then there has to be a point at which a playthrough that is the same as another playthrough becomes a different playthrough. And mm -hmm. so that what you're necessarily describing there is a tree. Mm. All right. Warifan, how has conversation worked for you in resolving conflict? I don't think I've come across any of those kind of situations yet, as far as I can tell. And unless I could have shot Ian or something. But. <laughs> you should shoot the elder in the ball. <laughs> I did try that once, but, you know, I don't think I'm uh, cut out for, uh, for that. <laughs> you weren't able to sweet-talk any red scorpions? No, they didn't like what I had to say. Oh, uh, I guess you can't please everybody. Oh, that's okay. you got to start somewhere. Okay. Well, how about in, in Fallout or in, in other games in general that have multiple resolutions to requests, how do you favor combat versus non-combat or violence versus non-violence? I think the dialogue shines more, honestly. I'm pretty sure that was their intention, right? Well, regardless right? of whether it was their intention, it's definitely the result. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the... Yeah. Um, I mean, the combat's definitely interesting in that you, you even have the choice of where you can uh, hurt somebody, like pick an area. That's That's interesting, too. But I think, really, it's just more exciting to talk to people and get a whole world-building sense. All right, so you're the kind of person who, who likes to listen to uh, everything an NPC has to say. Yeah, exactly. If you can make use of your presence to coax more out of them than you're willing to do so. Exactly. All right, then this just leaves yourself. How have you seen conversation work for resolving conflict? You know, I'll sometimes get through, less so in this playthrough of Fallout, but I guess just to skip ahead, generally speaking, if there's like a preemptive combat resolution like Golem was describing, if, you know, I'm forced into dialogue anyway, and I'm going to have to talk to this person before I can proceed, then sometimes I'll see what I can do to resolve things, but I also don't try very hard at that, and if, you know, as soon as someone attacks me or whatever, I'm just going to fight. I'm not going to reload a save and try to do the dialogue differently or explore that. I think part of that is that I don't find dialogue inherently rewarding. Part of the appeal of exploration in any scenario is that what you find can be aesthetically rewarding or it can be strategically rewarding. So when I'm exploring around a world, I might just be doing it in Zelda because it looks really cool and because I really like the music I'm hearing right now and it is just a uh, engaging experience on a purely audio-visual level. And I think that's almost fundamental to enjoying exploration. And in dialogue, you get the same thing, where if you're engaged by the story or the world of the game, or the characters, then exploring those dialogue trees is a way for you to get more out of that and, you know, just enjoy your time with the game. But I, there are exceptions to this, I guess, but certainly in the instance of Fallout, I don't really get into that at all. And so it sort of feels like a dry well where... Sure, I can poke around in the combat. I may get something strategically beneficial, but I can also strategically progress through combat. And that is more of a challenge, and so that feels more rewarding. Whereas the dialogue, the trade-off is that I get to hear what the characters have to say, but I just don't want to. Okay, so 
sounds like your favor is not particularly one or the other, but whichever feels more rewarding to you. If the dialogue isn't particularly something you care about, and the reward is just to get to hear more about Rhombus's life story, then you're just going to go ahead and whack away at people. Because that's more exciting. Yeah, and like I said, that's not universally the case. Even within Fallout, that's not universally the case. Like, there are characters that pique my interest more than others, and I'm certainly more inclined to talk more to the characters that have voice acting, because voice acting is generally good. Right. But if I'm not getting that reward from it, yeah, I'm not going to pursue dialogue. Okay. That's very interesting. Do you feel like the conversation in Fallout makes the experience unique enough that it, it will warrant multiple playthroughs? For me, personally, not. But I can see how the game is certainly structured so that it should. All right. So that ends Act 3. Uh, so we've had some really insightful commentary from everyone at the commune. To wind things down, I'd just like to ask everyone one final question. Adrian, in one sentence, can you define me what an RPG is? Not really. No. Uh, I think I'll try, though. To me, an RPG is really just like EXP leveling up. Like That's the one thing that I find everything being called an RPG really has in common. Uh, and a lot of things that they say they have, they really don't, which is the role-playing part. And I think a lot of the reason for that is because it can't be brought over because in pen and paper games, that's where the real role-playing comes in. Mm-hmm. That wasn't one sentence, but <laughs> I'm trying to keep it brief. That's cool. Uh, Golem, what do you think? What is an RPG? I would agree, but I would phrase it differently. I would say that a role-playing game is a video game where players are encouraged to play a role by setting statistics on in-game characters. Oh, very good. Wario-fan, what is an RPG? Three words. Every Zelda game. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got three words for you. You are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no, Zelda Zelda 2. No, Zelda 2 is actually an RPG. Does Terranigma yeah. count? That, that's a, a for real RPG. Uh, Terranigma, yes, it does count. Yeah, yeah that's a Zelda game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I meant, I, yeah, I meant by Wario fan rules. I, I don't oh. actually believe the, uh, you know, just know it gets his goat is off. <laughs> and yourself, what is an RPG? An RPG is a game that encourages the player to be proactive and define a style of play without requiring them to base that on the challenges in the game. It's hard to do in one sentence without planning it out. Basically, point being, an RPG, you pick how you're going to play, and the game allows you to play like that. In a non-RPG, the game uh, shapes the way that you play. All right, very good. This has been great. Does anyone have any final words? I enjoy Fallout, and I look forward to playing more. And uh, I was very glad that the dialogue in Fallout tends to be witty. I don't enjoy Fallout, but um, I'm going to stick it out because, you know, I want to see everything this game has to show. Maybe I'll pick up later. I'm in the middle. Fallout is not the worst or the best WRPG I've played, but it seems worth playing. I don't really have any final words other than that. I must press on and find the water chip, and I don't think I'm going to give that up. <laughs>